latest Star Trek film goes back to the roots of the franchise, how the bridge of the Starship Enterprise got staffed, and best of all, how Captain Kirk met his first officer and best friend, Mr. Spock. Though there were exceptional episodes, Amok Time for Spock and City on the Edge of Forever for Kirk, the characters in the original series were not allowed to change very much from week to week. The new film uses this to surprise us with variations on those old themes. Captain Kirk comes off well, still an egomaniac, but newly humbled and a little self-deprecating because a lot of what he tries to do fails. But the greatest beneficiary of the new approach is Spock. Jeffrey Quinto, who plays this young incarnation, is handed the gift of more layers in his two-hour screenplay than brilliant Leonard Nimoy ever had to work with in the 30 years in which he originated the character. One of these shadings gives this Vulcan human chimera, the half that's a man, regardless of the color of his blood, the dimensionality Nimoy had to provide through suggestion. It turns out that Spock has a secret life and secret passions that we never suspected, and it's not right to reveal what is actually the film's ace in the hole. But when you encounter this seemingly small change, think about how many thrilling ripples of disruption it sends across the surface tension of what we know and expect. Now think about how much the film could have been improved with more such departures. If an interestingly wrinkled Spock is the film's greatest special effect, its Achilles heel is its villain. Eric Bana, as a time-traveling Romulan, a race related to Vulcan Mr. Spock, struggles to bring tragedy to the character. I'm not sure anybody could have done any better. Nero's pain, those he blames for it, and his plan for revenge still feel forced and out of focus. The key to this character is that he's not constitutionally a weird loner. He's a family man who sacrificed being with those he loved to labor for them in an immense, empty leviathan of a mining ship. And now, trapped there after an accident, he labors to revenge their ghosts. But that's reading a lot into the film that should have really been written in there for us. So let's get down to brass tacks. The film that might have been is a film that could not have been. This Star Trek is all about transition, and J.J. Abrams, the creator of the TV series Lost, was the right man for the job. He wasn't so much tasked with making a great movie, and it's really not, as just getting everybody off his back. Star Trek is a franchise with 30 years of devotion, derision, expectations, and missed opportunities trailing behind it like a peacock's tail. In fact, in the hands of a director with less moxie, the film could easily have become a Star Wars prequel in a hot minute. But though J.J. Abrams is strictly a TV director, a craftsman without much artist in his soul, he has a talent the envy of many of his supposed betters. He can distill the essences of characters and keep them knocking around and bouncing off each other like brightly colored billiard balls. Best of all, he and his writing team, while not Irvin Kirshner and Lawrence Castan, are funny. Though it disrupts what the film is trying to do, I'm still very grateful for Abrams' Spock and awe. It's deeply pleasurable and a revenge on chest-beating, oxygen-sucking William Shatner that Leonard Nimoy literally gets the last word. That is, not one but two farewell scenes plus the opening monologue as the film's closing voiceover. Which begs the question, while they were updating all the special effects and the story and the characters and everything else, why didn't they take the initiative boldly to fix that famous split infinitive? Make it so. Reviewing movies for WFIU, this is Peter Noble Kachira. Mm-hmm.